Stories of addiction, depression, self-harm, heartache, war, fear, and hopelessness echoed in his mind. Every night, a fan would share a different story. Although Jake was the well-recognized frontman of August Burns Red, he was at a loss for how to help. He wasn't a mental health specialist, and he screamed into a mic for a living. Not exactly the picture of expertise his fans needed. Deep in thought and prayer, all Jake knew was that something had to change. Heart support is about building a place where people can come together as they are while exploring healing. They provide relevant resources to an increasingly digital generation, teaching them to give back and help others grow stronger together. Every year, they help men and women brave their wounds, find purpose, and discover healing. Their goal is to create a legacy, a term we often use, of life transformation, freeing them from suicide, addiction, abuse, and mental health issues, while empowering them with the realization they are loved unconditionally and supported by a community that believes in them. You know, it's long been our goal at the Veterans Project to not just create awareness through storytelling, but to generate an actionable process where our community gets the much-needed mental health resources it needs to find healing. We hear that number of 22 a day all the time, but what are we doing to put an end to that? Through our relationship with Heart Support, we believe that restoration can be just around the corner. Join us on twitch.tv backslash heart support on November 11th, Veterans Day, for the beginning of our new partnership and an introduction to our plan of action. To learn more and find out how you can help, send us an email at info at heartsupport.com. There is nothing outside of yourself that can ever enable you to get better, stronger, richer, quicker, or smarter. Everything is within. Everything exists. Seek nothing outside of yourself. Miyamoto Musashi, The Book of Five Rings. For those of you who have been following the project for a while, you'll definitely remember our next guest. A titan of the tactical industry who dedicated his life to the world of special operations. Two Lambs' path brought him out of the terroristic throes of a communist state in 1976 Vietnam and into a land he believed so strongly in that he spent 23 years as his protector. His escape so narrow that his mother almost died defending him. Whatever the case, Lamb found himself on American shores, the adopted son of a Green Beret who taught him the way he would pursue for those 23 years. Navigation by the stars in the backwoods of North Carolina, proper field craft, language training, and combatives, all preparing him at an early age for the odyssey of the warrior. Still, after a well-deserved retirement from Special Forces, two was at an impasse, those darkest years of war weighing on his soul like an iron anchor. The decades of combat had finally caught up with him, and so began the search for peace, once again found through service to the community that he'd once fought alongside. Lamb had to dig deep inside himself and find spiritual healing in order to ascend from the chaotic lifestyle that had once been the norm for him. So we talked about that. How do you become the warrior tending the garden, prepared for chaos, while remaining serene within? Here he is with an education on finding that life of serenity, the one and only, to Lamb. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. 
Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. Your host is always with me today. We've got a good friend of mine here, Two Lamb, Ronin Tactics, uh, an incredible man, Green Beret, uh, who served this nation for 23 years, right? Yes. Two, welcome to the project. Thanks for coming on, man. Arigato gozaimasu. Thank you for having me on. It's wonderful to have you here. So, too, as we usually do with these podcasts, you know, we kind of go back through time, talk a little bit about where you came from. Uh, we want to discuss reintegration, obviously, too, uh, as a big part of this, uh, because it's so important to the veteran world, the veteran sphere, this community that we're in. Uh, but first, would you take us back through your childhood and kind of where you came from and what took you down the path of the Green Beret? Yeah, absolutely. So my life started off in war. I was born in the Vietnam War. I was born during the failing states of South Vietnam. I was born in the city of Saigon. Actually, in the morning of my birth, the North Vietnamese surrounded the city of Saigon, and they were hitting us with artillery fire. My mother shielded my body from the incoming artillery fire the morning of my birth. After, so let's let's put back in history. Okay. Right? So at that time of my birth, you know, the Americans already withdrew from um, Vietnam. The South Vietnamese, which was on my side, we were on the losing side of the war. The North Vietnamese were coming in with their uh, communist ideologies. On the morning of my birth, about four months later, I lost my freedoms. So basically, I lost my freedoms at four months. I had no country, I had no freedom. Our people were oppressed. At two years old, my mother said that we were pulled out into the streets. My uncles that served alongside the American military, some of them were executed. Other ones were imprisoned in what they call re-education camps, which were torture camps. At three years old, we escaped on a wooden fishing boat with hundreds of other fleeing refugees. So during our escape, I, I, I wanted to talk about this because there was a lot of surrounding countries. So Thailand, think about all the countries, Malaysia, Indonesia, all these surrounding countries had their piety that was going on at the time. So you think about all the fleeing refugees out of Vietnam, they have all their belongings on them. And as we were escaping, that was the first obstacle is the piety that was going on. The pirates would stop the boats, murder the men, rape and kill the women and torture the kids and kill the kids. In fact, it was a common practice amongst the fleeing refugees that they would carry poison in their belongings when the pirates, during the final moments, they would poison their, their children so that their children would not have to endure the torturous death that awaits them. Wow. We crossed that and we uh, were able to evade the, the piety that was going on. And then we went into Malaysia. The Malaysian Coast Guard stopped us at gunpoint to anchor our boats, drug us back out into the South China Sea and shot our engine. They left us there to die. Wow. And, and the reason for this is because a lot of the neighboring countries at the time, they did not want to deal with the refugees. They didn't want to deal with the, uh, the, the issues of Vietnam. So a lot of these countries would not allow the refugees to go into their countries. Wow. So here we were, you know, out stranded out in the middle of the ocean. My mother said that People started fighting amongst each other. People were dying. She said that we were roughly out at sea for around 30 days. We got caught up in a, a huge storm, and that washed us deeper into the China Sea. 
where a Russian supply boat was coming out of Vietnam. And they saw a stranded boat, picked us up, and took us into Indonesia, where they docked us in Indonesia, and we lived in the refugee camps for a year and a half. Wow. Now, now these refugee camps, is uh, it's not safe, man, because... You know, you have all these fleeing refugees. They go in there to these refugee camps. People are murdered for supplies. That's a, that's a common practice. I mean, you're living off the land. You're living in poverty in grass huts. My mother was a survivor, man. So what was really cool about her was that she knew, like, the rich refugees. Well, they needed money, right? They needed money to pay for food. So they would sell their belongings to the local loan charts. Now, my mother knew that these loan sharks were giving them maybe 5% of the trade of the value of the jewelry. So she offered to be the middle person, and she would make the dangerous trip through the jungles up north of the island where the trading was more profitable. These jungles, man, they, they were uh, areas where people get murdered, people get raped, people disappear in these jungles. And my mother would make these, this journey up north once a week because she knew the commission would feed us. Mm. Growing up, my brothers often spoke of, you know, he, he would go into the jungles as a young boy and he would gather firewood. And he often spoke of dead bodies uh, in these jungles. Wow. Uh, roughly about a year and a half, uh, we got sponsored by my uncle, who was an American Special Forces Green Beret. He married my aunt. Uh, his G base got overran. He was actually stabbed by uh, SKS Bayonet and medevaced out back to the States. They thought he was going to die, but he actually lived. And he wrote a, basically a sponsorship letter, and he was able to get us over to America. We came over to America. We lived with my uncle for a little bit. My mother eventually got remarried to American Special Forces Green Beret. So at eight years old, I was running through the backwoods of Fort Bragg, North Carolina, you know, learning land navigation and... Uh, you know, learning counter-tracking techniques and stuff. And, you know, my, my, my stepfather was just trying to be cool. You know, yeah, he was yeah. just trying to show me what he knew, spending father and son time together. But those uh, trade crafts, the field crafts that he taught me at a young age kind of panned out later on in my career. That's so valuable. Absolutely. But you know what, what was really unique about my childhood was that, you know, I, I faced racism in, in the 80s. And let me put you back in history here. The Vietnam War was the most unpopular war in American history. And the reason why is because the Vietnam War allowed journalists, right, to be able to be attached to units and actually go out and tell the story, right? Up until then, you know, the military would censor everything that goes through. So the Vietnam War showed the raw footage of actual combat. Right. So very unpopular war. Uh, so growing up in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is, you know, right outside the biggest military base, right, army base yeah. in all of the United States and home special operations. Yeah. So growing up around there, you know, you have a, a diversity of, of, of kids, you know, from their parents. And a lot of them, you know, at the time were, uh, they felt the same way their parents did about the Vietnam War and about, you know, the Vietnamese. So I, I had to deal with a lot of that uh, growing up. But what was unique about my childhood was, you know, my, my stepfather didn't play those games. You know, he didn't play the victim. We, we had a strict military upbringing. 
we would get up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, raise the flag. We'll start PT before uh, even going to school. Wow. So we had a very regimented uh, lifestyle. You know, beds are made. We had a uniform code. We had to wear certain slacks and uh, button-down shirts to school. So very, very military. So that's how I was raised. I didn't have very much friends. And the friends that I did have was uh, my father's teammates mm-hmm. who were badass Green Berets, you know? <laughs> so that's where um, I knew at a young age, that's kind of like where my path was going towards. Yeah. Those are cool friends to have, by the way. They are. And, <laughs> and these guys were, you know, Sante Raiders, you know? These guys were Mac B. Sog. There were legends in their own uh, accord during their times. So I was raised up with that history. What really turned me on to the Green Berets was, um, you know, my mother. You know, we didn't have very much growing up. And my mother would often donate to the local Vietnamese community. Now, when I say that is, these Vietnamese people were refugees just like us. They don't have anything. Nothing. Everything was taken away from them during their escape. So these people are barely making it. And growing up around that environment, these people are judged, mm-hmm. spit on because of their poverty status and their race. And that's what I grew up to. But my mother would often make the long drive to these communities and she would donate to them. She would cook to them. And I remember asking my mother one time, I said, Mom, why do you care so much about people that you don't even know? Right. You know, and she said this to me, man. She said that, you know, no matter how bad off you are in life, right? If you can, you must help others. There's other people in need. And, you know, that night I reflected on that. Yeah. You know, I reflected on that day and I knew the Green Beret mission. Mm -hmm. The Green Beret mission was to go in and free those oppressed, you know, because I was oppressed as a child. My, My family, we escaped Vietnam. So I had this energy in me at a very young age. I just didn't know what it was. Mm. And it, what it was, it was purpose. And that code of de oppresso rare built within. Exactly. And, you know, and I think I owe it a lot to my uncle, who was a officer in Special Forces. I owe a lot to my stepfather, who was a Green Beret himself. So I knew a lot of that. And I knew the Green Berets was my ticket back in. Yeah. And when I say my ticket back in, it was my ticket to go around the world and free those oppressed. Yeah. So I knew that at a young age. So 11 years old. I aim towards the special forces. That's awesome. And you got there. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody does. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's, what's funny is that, um, you know, at 18, I, I enlisted in the military and, you know, there was no direct entry into the special forces back. There was no special forces baby program or anything. The two uh, requirements was you have to be, uh, and it's waverable. One of them is waverable. You have to be E5 and you have to either have five years in service. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, being a young paratrooper in 82nd, I went to uh, ranger school. And that kind of catapulted me in front of all my other peers, you know, graduating with that. I was able to get promoted to E5 in a year and a half, you know. And that qualified me with a waiver to go into Special Forces. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at that time, I I was um, assigned to the 18 Airborne Corps uh, amphibious reconnaissance teams. So we were doing a lot of reconnaissance work and uh, the JTF-6 missions down in the border of Mexico and stuff like that. But at 21, I tried out for the Green Berets. Went into the weapons course, uh, went through their long pipeline. In fact, the the Green Berets is the longest pipeline even to date 
uh, when it comes to specialized training. Right. Um, so graduate from uh, the Special Forces Qualification course, and then I went to language training, and then I went to 1st Special Forces Group, which was in Okinawa, Japan. Mm. How much did that, your dad, the way he raised you, your stepfather, how much did that really play into, you know, going through the course and making it through? You know, did his words resonate within as you were going through some of those hard days, you know? Or or did you just feel like you were meant to be that the whole way? Oh, no, no. <laughs> there, there's times in uh, we, we team week, which is like hell week for um, SFAS, Special Forces uh, Assessment Selection. So team week is the breaker, right? So that's where guys get injured. That's where majority of the guys dropped out. That week made me rethink what I was doing, <laughs> yeah. right? Because the pain is just unbearable. But I, I'll tell you this, man. When you asked if my father's words carried me through, absolutely. Mm. My, my father's words, but not just his words, it was the promise I made to myself, mm. you know, at such a young age. I knew that this was my path, mm. you know. Well, at least I knew this was my ticket right. to go back in these countries, you know, for that purpose. Yeah. yeah, man, so a lot of his words helped. A lot of my uncle's words helped. Mm. You know, my uncle would often pick me up to take me to Dairy Queen when I was uh, a young little boy. <laughs> and this is how he spoke. He didn't have a muffle, right? <laughs> so he would tell me how things are. He goes, two, as he's driving me to Dairy Queen, I'm, I'm only 11. Right? <laughs> and he said, two, you know, some days, you know, you're going to feel sorry for yourself and you're, you're going to get tired, man, and, and the pain's going to set in. And you need to ask yourself this. Do you want to be a fucking commando? <laughs> and I looked at him, right? And he was like, and as he was driving towards Dairy Queen, he goes, you know, when when the days are long, you know, and people say you can't do it, you're going to ask yourself, do you want to be a fucking commando? <laughs> and you know what was funny, Tim? It was that during team week, when the, the weight of the rucksacks and the 45-pound poles lashed onto a three-wheel Jeep as you're pushing it through the foothills of, Camp McCall, uh -huh. right? and the pain sets in. People start quitting. You know, I ask myself that: mm. Do I want to be a fucking commando today? Yeah, you know. And sorry for that word, but I needed you to understand yeah. the the energy that was delivered at that young age. You know, and um, yeah. So his words carried me, man. Yeah. Right. So absolutely, I I I pulled from uh, in time of pain. I pulled from the strengths. Mm. We all need that uncle who will let it rip everyone. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I love him. I love him. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. So, Special Forces train went to Okinawa where uh, I was assigned to um, a combat search and rescue team at first where we our mission was to uh, recover down pilots in North Korea. And then 9-11 happened. Right? Wow. So, 9-11 happened and being out for a Special Forces group, it was a global war on terror. Our mission was to combat Abu Sayyaf terrorist group in southern Philippines. What was that feeling like? I don't want to, uh, I don't want to stop you, but what was that feeling like for you when the towers got struck? Do you remember that? Oh, I remember that. Day. Yeah. You know what was unique about that day is, uh, you know, I was dating my wife at that time. Oh wow. I met her during counterterrorist training uh, in Fort Bragg, and I flew back, and I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan. And I think what was unique was she was flying, she flew that day to come see me in Japan, you know. 
and you know back then we didn't have cell phones or you know so um man i we went no comms for a while wow you know? so that was why i remember that day because she was actually flying to come see me that day the, the great thing about was they canceled all the flights so she was safe but i didn't hear from her for a while because there was no cell phone that's scary then. that was super scary yeah and uh and, and on top of that was the time difference between japan and the united states you know and it was really surreal when i seen those planes hit our towers i knew we were going to go to war there was no doubt about it mm. you know i just didn't know where right you know i didn't know where at the time so we were tasked to go into southern philippines at that time in basilan island um the uh, abu sayyaf uh, terrorist group wanted independent muslim uh, nation so they started targeting christianity up in the uh, islands of basilan so they started killing innocent lives uh you know just a bad group yeah. That group of guys, man. So our mission was to come in, advise, assist the Filipino government on, on training a commander force that was going to quickly insert into the jungles and combat Abu Sayyaf. Mm. Did a, I did a few rotations in the Philippines, but I knew during that time, I knew where the war was, man. Yeah. You know, and I had my eyes on where the heavy fighting was, which when I left the Philippines, it was Afghanistan or Iraq. Right. And I knew this. So I went to Yusasak. I was assigned to USASOC uh, in North Carolina, where our mission was to combat um, Zarqawi at that time in Iraq. Mm. So I spent seven years in uh, USASOC doing a lot of specialized stuff, being deployed around the world, combating uh, terrorism. I left after seven years, went to 10th Special Forces Group, where my area operation was uh, concentrated on Libya, uh, the continent, the Horn of Africa. Uh, and then after that, man, I, you know, I hit my 23 year mark. I, I could tell you I was, I was lost at that time. Yeah. You know, it was a hard time in my life. Any, any combat veteran can, can tell you, especially on the, on the teams, you're going at 150 miles an hour to a dead stop. Yeah. And once you hit that dead stop, all of the thoughts and emotions that you kind of suppress throughout the years will hit you. Yeah. So it, it was during that time where um, I realized that I needed to get out and I needed to find my my footing, my place again in life, you know. So I started working on myself yeah. first. What know? do you think that was, that moment? Was there a moment or was it a collection of moments that got you to where you knew that it was time? It was time to get out and make your own, make a, you know, divert from that path and start your own. The passion isn't there anymore. Mm. The clarity isn't there anymore. Uh, I could guess you could say, uh, you know, maybe a little cons complacency on the things because you've done these ops so many times, you know, so you get kind of complacent. So that kind of clued me in. Is that scary when you when you get to that place when you realize a little complacency sets in and you're starting to, you know, did that, did that, was that tough? You know, what, what was scary was that you just don't care about your individual safety anymore. Mm. Right? You kind of grow numb. Almost a little fatalism in a way. Numb. Yeah, numb. It's more okay. of the word. So if you have no emotions towards things, how can you have passion, right? right. Towards a, a uh, purpose, yeah. right? So I guess you could say I lost it. So as I was in my dark place, you know, I realized that what was my first teachings mm. in life. Yeah. 
See, I started my teachings at eight years old in the martial arts. You know, martial arts to me isn't just movements, isn't just a form of close quarters combat, hand to hand. Martial arts, <laughs> martial means military. Yeah. Arts is a, a dedication of, of art, is beauty. I realized that the martial arts, my first teachings in life was my answer back. When, when you're passionate about something, man, right? History kind of repeats itself. Everything comes full circle. We agree with that? That's true, yes. Right? Very. Well, in the teachings of, okay, so at 13 years old, I read the Book of Five Rings. Oh, that's normal reading for a 13-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I have a feeling too lamb would be reading that book at 13 years old? <laughs> yeah. So for, for the viewers that, that don't know what the Book of Five Rings is, he was Miyamoto Masashi. You know, he was a ronin. And he was born back in the late 1500s and died in 1645 in a Buddhist cave. You know, Tim, I meditated in that cave three years ago. Wow. In the closure of the war, you know, for me. But what, I think what's unique about this is that when the first time at 13, I picked up the Book of Five Rings, I read it. And I close and I'm like, I have no idea <laughs> what this guy is talking about. Yeah, right? yeah. But you know what's what's weird, man? It was uh, it was during my darkest moments. Mm. You know, after my 23 years is when uh, I dust off the shelf and I picked up the Book of Five Rings. If you, if you look over here in the library, I have 16 copies of the Book of Five it's Rings. Not enough. You need 17. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why is, man, I traveled to 27 countries. Wow. Right. So everywhere I saw the book of five rings and man in Spanish and <laughs> Japanese, wherever, Korean, wherever I go and I see a copy, I, I make it a point. And the principle applies no matter where you're at. Absolutely. Mm. So, OK, so during my darkest years, I, I picked up the book of five rings. And, you know, Minamoto Masashi, he said something that resonated with me at that time, at that moment. Right. Because, you know, sometimes I could tell you something or you could read something. It doesn't mean anything to you yeah but in your darkest moments you know the words have depth you come back to that yeah right so you know as i opened up the book you know miyamoto talked about do not look for strength anywhere else you know all your love all your passion everything comes from within look nowhere else mm. you know and, and what's funny is that you know the green berets you know hard dudes right because we we have to be we have to go through hard training and it's a it's a very tough mindset but you know at that time man when i was lost i was looking for strength everywhere else mm. well I, I call my father and i'm like hey dad how did you do it how'd you do it man mm -hmm. right I, i'll talk to some of my veteran friends that got out i'm like man how did you do it yeah how do you find your path when you're going at 150 to zero? You know, and and a lot of us, man, I hate to say it, don't make it mm. because we can never find our footing again. You know, and I never wanted to be that because that's not what life is about. Right. Right. Life is about living life in every breath. The yeah. teachings of samurai. So the teachings of samurai was to find strength within. You know, at that time, man, I, I didn't have it. Yeah. You know, I didn't, yeah, I'm a commander. Obviously, I have that strength. But I didn't have the strength to move past that energy, you know? And I realized that along the way, I kind of lost some attributes that I admired throughout my life. Right? Because when you're, you get so fixated on certain things like 
I don't know, surviving. <laughs> right, you kind, kind of important. Yeah, you kind of uh, have to let go of certain energies. Right, like kindness. Mm. You lose parts of yourself within that survivability. You're trying to survive, but you don't realize other attributes are being stripped away. How can you have kindness when, when your job is you know to do certain things, right? Right. Yeah. So, man, obviously I had compassion, right? But kindness was definitely one of the things, right? Mm. And fulfillment was another one. Mm. So I, I wrote down uh, a list of flaws. Man, I had them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had them. I had them at this point. And no, no holds bar mm-hmm. list of flaws, right? And I wrote them all down, man. And then I started studying it. Wow. When I say studying is, if I give you a target, mm-hmm. right? If I say, hey, this, this bad guy's in this country, you're going to study that. You're going to study his behaviors. You're going to study his pattern of life. You're going to study that country. You're going to study the environment. You're going to study the, the social uh, situation, the infrastructure. You're going to study it. Right. So that's what I did. Kindness was one. Like I started studying. I'm like, oh, okay. So I somehow be- I cocoon myself in these days, right? Because on the teens, well, man, I tell you, we run in certain circles, right? <laughs> we can only talk about certain things. And so you're going to run with the people that you can talk about stuff. Right, to, right. Yeah, totally. And other people just don't understand. So you do run in certain circles, right? Mm-hmm. So kindness, like a job, man. I I went out and I I sort to be kind i would open up doors to people and i'm like have a great day <laughs> and they're like excuse me i would go into the store and say thank you so much i appreciate you yeah. to i don't know a walmart cashier <laughs> <laughs> some people would give me you know weird looks but you know i didn't do it for them tim right I did for me yeah you know and after a year of doing that <laughs> i became kind man mm, practice right? Right. I became kind again, wow. you know, and then I realized at that point where I'm like, hey, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that we need to work on here. Fulfillment. What makes you fulfill as a human being in life, man? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm asking yeah. you, what, what makes you fulfill, man? Focusing on others, telling their stories. OK. Yeah. So purpose, right? You purpose. have a yeah. purpose. Mm hmm. So I needed to find my purpose again, right? <laughs> yeah. so I needed to find. So it's hard know. though, going from a gunfighter and defender of free, you know, a defender of oppressed nations, to getting out of that and then finding that fulfillment is is tough because you had such a singular focus. You know, you're doing something very purposeful, and so finding it outside of that is tough, right? Well, you just have to change the way you view life. Mm, okay. Right. You have to change the way you view the world, man. Right, so we we're both Americans. Yes, you love this country, right? Love it. So why can't I take my life experience and help others in our country? Mm. Why can't I protect communities? Right? Why can't I help our law enforcement and the gosh, man, the dynamic situation that they have to face these days? Right? Yeah, it's a different world, right? Even more so than we when we last talked. Right. So I remember when you came out when I was in Dallas training. Yes. The the law enforcement guys. I I could tell you things changed. Yeah. Tactics changed. More restraints on on our officers. Mm -hmm. But with more restraints on our officers, what did that lead to civilians? Yeah. Right? Because who's going to protect them now as we tighten down on 
you know, what a, a police officer can do and how he could serve his community. Right. Or she could serve her community, right? Mm -hmm. So law-abiding citizens, man, they need to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Right? Absolutely. So here I am, right? This samurai. <laughs> <laughs> no, here I am, this this Green Beret who's training unconventional warfare. Right. It's training strategy, training combat. Well, why can't I take that and make a world better place? Because I took those skill sets to make a world better place by freeing the enslaved, mm. right? Stopping modern day genocide. So why can't I take my teachings and just make a better country? Yeah. That's the birth of Ronin, yeah. you know, through the teachings of Miyamoto Masashi's to find my inner strength again, my journey to fix my flaws. Yeah. Right. And then one of my flaws is, man, I need to connect to the people again. Right. Because all these years, you know, I lived in that cocoon life where I disconnected myself from society. Yeah. So now it's about reintegrating myself in again and giving others uh, my experience. And maybe through my experience, you can find your way. Mm. Right. You don't have to be a commando. Yeah. Right. But maybe. OK. I was talking to a college student the other day. He was a lazy college student. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And he was not motivated about anything. There's no such thing as lazy college students. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, right? Oh. So I said, man, you know, so I told him about my college. Yeah. You know, when I graduated from high school, my mother, oh, I told her I'm joining the military. She was heartbroken, Tim. Really? Heartbroken. That surprises me. Well, it shouldn't because she left her country who was ripped apart by war. Mm. Right? She... It's married now to my stepfather, who's a Green Beret, who deployed all through South America and Central America in the 80s. Yeah. Fighting combat, you know, counter drug missions, right? Right. So she kind of had that snapshot. and She wanted a better life for me. Mm. She didn't want me to go into war, man. <laughs> she, she put me on that boat to escape war, right? We got out of war. Now you want to go back to That's it? That's what she told me. <laughs> That's what she said. Wow. And she was heartbroken. And I, I love my mother, man. Mm -hmm. And I, I made a promise to her that day. I said, um, you know, Mom, I, I know that you gave up everything for us. You know, you wanted a better life, better education. And you did. You gave us a better life and education. But this is something I have to do. But I will promise you I will finish college. And I will have the military pay for it. Wow. And I said, so take the money that you saved for me and, you know, give it to my brother who's he was going through medical school at that time. He definitely needed So you need that money. He <laughs> needed that money anyways. But, you know, man, hey, so I was telling this college student, I said, so when I first joined the Army, you know, I was a young paratrooper. Mm -hmm. And then I went to ranger training, and then I went to, you know, long-range reconnaissance, doing counter-drug missions on the border as I was going to school. Wow. You know? And uh, I told him, I said, you know, being a Green Beret on the A-teams, going to college had its difficulties, you know? I was... We were running with rebel forces, yeah. maneuvering through conflict areas. And I was going to college. Yeah. You know, but I tell you what, Tim, you know, I took my final exam in Cameroon. Oh, wow. Doing counter poaching campaigns. In fact, I didn't I even know that. That's awesome. I took my final exam on a Cameroon commando camp. <laughs> wow. And this is the thing, man. I graduated with honors. Wow. I graduated honors with a degree in Homeland Security. Wow. And I sent that. Uh, man, I sent that picture to my mother. And she cried. Yeah. How proud were you in that moment? I was proud because I I knew the power of a promise, man. 
right? So I was able to give my mother back something that meant so much to her, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that was what made me really proud of this because she gave up so much for her. And I finished college to show my appreciation to her. Yeah. Obviously, I needed to get smarter. Right? <laughs> I needed a college degree. We all do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, man, yeah. I, I truly did it. I would say about 50% of it was for my mother, too. Wow. And your word was your bond, and you lived up to that bond. Right, right. We would be a better society if that happened more often. Right. So I think, like, as a human being, if you were to serve or you're not to serve, if you were an actor, an athlete, or whoever you are, a single mother, a college student struggling in life, whatever, you overcame that struggle. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Right, you broke through. You 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 were able to breach that void and become the person you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because I tell you what, man, I faced my struggles, right? And I became the person I wanted to be, yeah. a mentor, a teacher to so many these days, right? As an instructor for Ronan. But I tell you, man, you know, to find that, right? To find that. To face to look at your struggles and go, okay, okay. That hurt. Yeah. But this is what I extract from that. And this is who I want to be because of that pain that I felt. Yeah. Right? Because, man, I could tell you to change, but you're not going to change until you scarred yourself. Yeah. In emotions. Wow. You know, and I, at, that, at that point in my life, man, I needed that change. And I, I feel like that's, we need to say that to the veterans. Yeah. Right? Because, gosh, man, you know, our combat veterans, they've been through it, you know, especially, gosh, in the last 18 years, they've been through it. Yeah. You know, and and to give them an answer, right? To, to give them an answer, hey, the answer is don't look anywhere else. Mm. Start with yourself. Yeah. And that teachings came out of a samurai that rode in a Buddhist cave by candlelight back in 1645. Yeah. And I was able to extract that teachings of a samurai, teachings of a ronin, and I became a ronin. Mm. What was it like to have that self-aware moment where you sit down and you write down all those flaws? What was that like? And, and was that what brought you out of those dark spaces, really learning like you know, how to make it through those flaws and fix those things about you? Yeah, I, I think I took a very special forces uh, approach to my flaws. I looked at the flaws. I looked at the pattern of life on these flaws. I look at the when when these flaws were triggered. I look at the the time, the emotion. I mean, literally, I broke it down <laughs> into the environment, <laughs> the temperature, the yeah. biometric. I broke it down. Yeah. And what I realized, man, it was like I was having a lot of anxiety attacks uh, when I first got out, you know. And it was not because I'm thinking about anything. I, I wasn't, literally, I wasn't thinking about anything. Mm. Nothing. It just would come. Yeah. So I started first studying my mind. Right? I started studying my mind, you know. I started talking. I started reading more about how the brain works. You know, 95% of our brain works in, in the subconscious. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. So 95% of the time you go through life thinking about your past and you thinking about the future. Well, when you think about your past, Tim, let's think about an event. Yeah. Right? So if I ask you, hey man, talk about this event. Well, there's an emotion tied to that event. Right. 
right? Mm-hmm. There's an emotion, there's an experience tied in it. Do you think that we can produce stress and anxiety by just thinking about things? Yes. We absolutely can. So first it starts with the brain, right? It's about understanding all that, mm. understanding all that. So I start, when I started understanding all that, well, if you understand, then you can combat it, right? Yeah, yeah. You can fight against it. So I realized, man, that I needed balance in my life. You know, I was this warrior for so long, you know, and through through the path of a warrior and through the path of war, I kind of lost certain attributes that I value most as a human being, not a warrior, as a human being. And kindness was it, man. Mm. How much of the advent of Ronin Tactics is, you know, seeing people make it through these scenarios and, and the different classes you train? Because you train civilians and you train law enforcement, right? And you train, you know, those different groups. How how rewarding is that process for you? And how important is that to your mental health? It's a beautiful thing, man. Like, gosh, giving, giving, it's, it's such a powerful thing, right? When I say that, it's, so when I teach a class, you know, I teach a form of martial art, I teach a combat shooting, whatever it is, I'm giving my life experience, right? And each warrior has his flavor on gunfighting, right? But I'm teaching you my, my experience in life, mm-hmm. why things are important to me, and I explain it down to the T. And I remember this, man, like some, some students will come to me defeated. Yeah. Just defeated in life, you know. Right. So when I say that is some of them are overweight, right? Some of them are facing their depression. I, I understand this because they tell me. They tell me. See, and they look for deeper meaning in my training than just gunfighting. They tell me this, you know. But I think what's so rewarding is when I come back. Mm. So when I train in San Francisco and I come back a year, gosh, the guy lost weight. Yeah. And then I come back again. Man, he lost he lost more weight. He looks great. And yeah. you know, and the student comes up to you and it's and start crying and he says, You show me the way. Mm. And I realized that, man, it was the teachings of a Ronin that showed me the way. Yeah. Through my darkest moment. Why can't I be the voice and help others through their dark times, you know? So that was rewarding. Yeah. So in the teachings of Ronin, man, I teach the mind. I teach you how to live. Yeah. It's it's truly rewarding. Yeah. It's truly helped me get over that darkness that I was in. Yeah. And and for those of you out there who don't understand, you know, Ronin tactics, you take a very multifaceted approach to survivability, right? It's not just guns. It's it's everything, right? It's so, a way of life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when people say, what is your martial art? You know, I grew up in the 80s, so Bruce Lee was like my <laughs> role model. Bruce Lee is still cool. Yeah, he's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he is. So Bruce yeah. Lee said this, man. He goes, you know, he doesn't believe in forms and styles. You know, he believes in water, mm. yeah, right? And water forms to what are reciprocal that it's poured into, you know. A formless style, JKD is what it is. You know, I started studying JKD when I was 11 because of Bruce Lee. Mm. If you were to ask me what is your style, I'm truly a formless style because I was trained by the martial arts, 
Yeah. Right. And I draw from certain forms of martial arts and I live by the code mm-hmm. of a martial art, Bushido. Yeah. Right. The code of a warrior. But my training, man, if you really want to know, it's guerrilla warfare. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's yeah. guerrilla tactics. It's right. unconventional. Right. So if you really think about Bruce Lee's teaching, what is more unconventional than a form of style? Mm. So when I take his mindset of having a form of style, Tim, I've been trained by 27 countries. Yeah. So Malaysian commandos, Iraqi commandos, Libyan command, you cross train with all this. So your technique and strategy is truly formless. Yeah. So that's my martial art. Wow. Adapting yourself to every situation. To the environment. Yeah. How I fight in the jungle is different from how I fight in urban. How I fight in urban is different from how I fight in the Horn of Africa and the Sahara. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's just different. And then uh, hand-to-hand, same way. Yeah. When people say, hey, what is your form? My form martial art is to be able to breach that distance mm-hmm. or to be able to create distance to employ a weapon. Yeah. I'm not here to tap you out. You know, in fact, you throw me into a cage match, I'll lose, right? Because <laughs> you took away my weapons. Yeah. Right? yeah, it's important to have every facet of that, though, right? It is, you know, in a in a survival setting, you know, it could be, and and let's be clear, every situation is a survival setting. It can turn into that really quickly. How have you what how have you shaped Ronin into that? Has it did it start that way? You know, we're gonna train every type of tactic, we're gonna work on every environment. Where did that mindset come from? You know, when I first started Ronin, I was trying to find my place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was going, Well, I know this. I know how to do this. I know I know how to and you know, literally I know how to pull people out of the crowd through time, distance, change of direction. I know how to you know, pick locks. I know how to start cars. I know how to, you know, because I was in that world for so long. Yeah. So what do you try? Not? <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, at first I kind of shotgun everything. I'm like, Oh, I do this, 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 this. And then I realized that what am I passionate about? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I started dissecting to what does the world really need? You know, I was talking to this 60 year old man, and he's been injured and he lived a hard life, you know. And he goes, at my age, how can I defend myself? And I say, oh, well, you have to understand your environment, right? You have to pull the intelligence. Intelligence, you're old and broke. Mm-hmm. You're not going to move as fast as a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old, you see? Right. So you have to even out that, that, that playing field. Yeah. He goes, how do you do it? Weapons. <laughs> even out with weapons. Yeah. And he goes, well, I was thinking about a gun. I'm like, don't so be so confined in your thinking. Yeah. You know, because in, in special forces, we had to go in countries without weapons. And we had to produce weapons in country. Yeah. So I told him that, so you need to change your mindset until you are a weapon. Mm. So that's that's cool thing about Ronin is that I get to help people find their path you yeah. know, through the teachings of what I'm passionate about. Yeah. You know? How do you impart that knowledge in what you've gone through and, and the difficulties of transitioning and reintegrating back into society? How have you helped other veterans in that way? Or maybe people in general, you know, who are struggling in life. You've talked about the older guys struggling, the younger guys struggling, you know, the younger girls struggling. People that are in these, you know, in, in, in everyday life that you see, you know, coming up to you too, you know, I see you've got it all together. You get this wonderful lifestyle. <laughs> how how do I get there? Mm. How do you how do you help them with that? 
gosh, man, you have to look at the infrastructure nowadays, right? Mm, so yeah. when I say that is like, how can I make an impact on this world? And I thought about this, Tim. I say, how can I make the impact in this world? You know, how can I reach people to help them? <laughs> we have the best social media platforms in today's world, man. The world has gotten smaller because of the information error. Mm -hmm. As a Green Beret, if I don't take that into effect, like the intelligence of how I'm able to push that data through a social media world. So, so this is what I do. You know, in the Rangers, in the Green Berets, in the Army, right? You lead by example. Yeah. You lead by example, right? The best leaders do, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do, yeah. right? When I say that is, you know, I get up every morning at five. Yeah. Every morning. No, there's no days off for me. When I say that is, there's no Saturday schedule or Sunday schedule. Every day is five o'clock in the morning. I, I tell you why. It's not for work. I get up every morning for me. You know, when the sun is coming up, I'm meditating, you know, and that's how I first connect with God, mm -hmm. right? Because if you don't believe in something higher, right? As a veteran, I'm speaking to veterans. I'm speaking to the people that, that are trying to find their place. If you don't believe in anything higher than yourself, that's where you be, right? So first, I connect with God. Second, you know, in the morning time, your brain, your, your brain is not at its full function, you know. Right. Especially at 5 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. Right? Mine either. <laughs> right. So the, the, yeah. the, the, uh, the brain waves are a different frequency mm -hmm. in the morning. See, I'm able to lock in in the mornings a lot easier through meditation. And meditation is through the analytical mind, being able to, to train my analytical mind to be in the present. Mm. Right? And you do it by... I don't know, one method is you do it through meditation, through monitoring your breath, mm. monitor your breathing. So if you're able to just tune out everything, just monitor that breathing, then you're in the present moment, right? right. Because that's all we have. Yeah. That's all that exists, mm. you know? Through all the, all the times, through your past, present, future, the only, the only time that matters is the present moment, and that embodies all the time. And that's so important because we have so many veterans who are stuck in the past, living that past life, right? So living in the present, how do you how do you do that? It's that every morning function, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So okay, so when you first join the military, you right? You don't think we get trained? You don't think that we get our our minds programmed to whatever mission that we have to do? Exactly, we do, right? And that takes time. It takes time. Yeah. Right? It takes time to train a soldier to be numb. Yes. <laughs> right? It took me, gosh, man, 22 years before yeah. I felt numbness. So it takes time is what I'm saying. It takes uh, repetition. Right? So what I find is this, man. So if you want to find happiness, well, you have to commit time to it. And the only way to be happy is you have to sever that thought of the past. Mm. And you have to sever the, the, the anxieties of the future. And you have to let go of the ego and don't concern yourself what other people think or say about you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It matters what you think, man. Right. Right? So that's what I tell people. Mm. Right? It matters what you think. And it starts in the mornings. Every morning. So if you're not dedicating time for your personal development, well, there you are, my friend. You're not going to ever find it. Yeah. You're just kind of letting life lead you, mm. right? 
how important were those teachings for you? You know, uh, where you're reading the Book of Five Rings and how how and how much of that was your growth into where you're at now? The the Book of Five Rings to me was more of a guideline. Gotcha. Right, because Masashi speaks freely of tactics and strategy and all that, and a lot of the book is uh, if you, if you read it, it's is about combat, is yeah. about uh, strategies, but some of it is about his philosophies on things and life, you know. So what Masashi did was first it connected me to the way, mm. which is Bushido, is the Bushido code, is to seek perfection in everything you do. Uh, to, to find beauty in, in the, the simplest things, mm-hmm. you know, and to live a full life. Yeah. Right? And to to live life in every breath, right? And that's the teachings of that. So I drew that martial art teachings from Masashi. But I also drew a lot of other books, a lot of other things, you know? A lot of other veterans, I read their books. Uh, I read other samurai books, uh, other philosophy, Lao Zhu, you know, the, uh, the founder of Taoism. I started connecting with, you know, to live in harmony with the universe, mm. right? It doesn't matter what religion you are, you know? It's about connecting with God, man, connecting with the universe. And I feel like, you know, in today's society, we are disconnected. Very disconnected, yeah. Yeah, and why is that? Mm. So, you know, I asked this veteran, I said, what, what is the first thing you do in the morning, man? He goes, well, I, I, I pick up my phone and I check my emails. <laughs> and then I, I go to my social medias and I check, you know, my last post, check some comments. See, what you're doing is you already, you woke up when your brain waves are at its least active and you're injecting other people's thoughts into your brain already from the beginning, day one, yeah, start yeah. of the day, right? Right. So you never, you program your mind to never really listen to yourself. You're always, you program your mind to be concerned about what everybody else is thinking. Mm. So that's why when I get up uh, in the morning, I don't even check anything. Yeah. I go straight to meditation, connect with God, be in the present moment, and really, I inject positivity into my mind. Yeah. How do you how do you move around? Because obviously, with Ronin, social media is important in showcasing what you're doing. How do you really, you know, subjugate that platform to being just that and not being more? Because I'm sure you've had negative thoughts before. I'm sure there have been some keyboard warriors you've wanted to punch, you know, <laughs> like I have <laughs> guilty. <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you structure that in a way your day where you don't let any of that ruin the rest of your life? You know, cause a lot of guys do get stuck in that, you know, get stuck in that world of social and it's strange for us because everybody thinks we're these hardened warriors, you know, these <laughs> cyborgs that return back home, you know, and, oh, we don't pay attention to that stuff. It just rolls right off our back. But No, 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 Tim. That it, stuff hurts. It doesn't roll off your back, man. Yeah. And, and words do hurt. You know, I tell you that. It does hurt. And gosh, people are taking their lives off of words. Yeah. Right? And you know what? what what's sad is that, you know, a veteran. That bad mouth's another veteran, I feel, because, it, and I'm not saying that veteran is, is a bad veteran. He's just going through whatever he's going through. Right. And instead of working on himself, he rather point the finger, and that's a no-win situation. Yeah. No-win situation. 
See, what I learned in social media was this. Because <laughs> social media is a learning process for me, you know? I, and I'll tell you why. Well, gosh, I was on the A-teams for so long. It's a secret of life. Yeah. And then now you're exposed to, I don't know, for me, million million people. Yeah. You know, now you're exposed to that platform. Well, you don't think anxiety comes with that? A lot, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So I had to change the way I viewed the world, how I view things. Okay, if I want my message to be heard, then I have to post it on social media platforms. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of weak people out there that like to target other people. You know, they, they actually get a high off of going in online and bashing other people because they have an ego and they want to feed it. Yeah. But that's the thing is with the good comes the bad. Yeah. Right? And what I find out is this, man. Man, I get hundreds of messages a day from people that, that, that needs, needs my voice, mm -hmm. you know, and I, um, you know, and I'm not talking for the haters, you know, if they want to listen, they listen. I don't hate them. Yeah. But I, I tell you, I'm not talking for them. I'm, at first I'm talking for me, right? Because I'm finding, I'm trying to find my footing in this world again. Right. And I, I realized through my footing in this world is take my life experience and give it to others. And maybe they can extract the teachings and apply it to their life. Yeah. You know? So, I, I, okay, case in point. I had this mother who was a single mom, and she was trying to put herself through college. And every, she, she was having a difficult time. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I wrote a post about manage your time. Manage your day, butter. Yeah, Defeat yeah. the day. Yeah. And she wrote me back. She goes, wow. You know, instead of thinking about the big picture about my life, I just tackle each day. Yeah. And if I'm able to defeat today, then I defeat my life. Mm. So what I'm saying to you is that, you know, the purpose is to help others. Yeah. So it grounds out all the hate yeah. to me. Right? Yeah, I get the haters sometimes, you know. They come in. But their their words don't really mean anything to me because first, my words mean more to me. Right. Through the teachings of Masashi. Right? Mm. And then second... My words can help others. And I realize that. Yeah. So I don't sweat the small stuff. Man. <laughs> All that to say, don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it's interesting that you said that. I was just having a discussion with uh, with my girlfriend the other day, and she was talking about their, you know, these small games she was making in, in fitness. And she was really focused on one part, you know, as, as women do and men do as well, you know, in the gym, you know, men typically a little bit more on their upper body than they need to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we can all be guilty yeah, of that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta get the buys looking yeah, good. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> get ready for the gun show. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, she was focused on this, and, and I was a personal trainer for six or seven years, and I said, you know, kind of something to the effect of what you were saying. It's like, focus, s stop worrying about where you're at three months from now. Stop that. Take tomorrow. Take today. Today. Check that off. Then the next day, and then before you know it, you hit that three-month mark, and you're noticing all these profound gains that you've made. But it doesn't start. You're not going to have that right now. That ultimate satisfaction comes through the adversity of that environment, right? You're taking a day-by-day, gym day. Hey, I'm going to get after Monday, and then I'm, I'm just worried about Monday. 
worry about Tuesday because you worry about Tuesday. It's like, oh my gosh, I've got this much to accomplish. Yeah. And before you know it, you've psyched yourself out of the game, right? Yeah. It's just like going on a mission, I'm sure, right? Yeah. You're not going to worry about the next mission. No, You're going to work it. What happens if you worry about that next mission? Yeah. You can't worry about the next mission. Yeah. You have to be totally locked in and focus on, you know, what's going on at hand. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's unique about that is what you said was that, you know, I talk about that, you know, defeating today. Uh, um, one of the podcasts I did with a doctor. But it's also, man, like if you defeat a day, or so let's just say this, you hate working out. Let's just say, oh man, I hate working out. Especially Nobody at, hates working out. <laughs> especially at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what do you mean you're going to cut all sugars and carbs out of oh, my diet? man. No trips to Dairy Queen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, uncle. yeah no more trips. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you is this. What I'm saying to you is this. So look, those small victories. The small victories as in, I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to make my bed. Mm. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to take a shower. Right? I'm going to meditate. I'm going to work out. Okay? So those are the, the daily victories. Mm-hmm. Right? The small little victories. Washing your dish. Little, little things that people are like, what? I that's not a victory. Right. That's <laughs> not a victory. Those are. Yeah. Those are, man. Because it's through the small victories, right? It's through the small victories is that you form a habit, mm. right? Because you do it every day, it becomes a habit, yeah, right? So let's, let's just say you have trained yourself to develop a winning habit. Yeah. You're going to win in life no matter what they throw at you. So this is what I'm saying. What my father taught me and what I endured as a Green Beret through you know, facing my struggles and, and, and finding my courage and my voice or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. All that, all that, all that plays, right, in life. Yeah. Right? So if you're able to win those small little victories, man, you win life. Yeah. You That's win. amazing. Yeah. When you're, when you're trying to, you know, when you're developing these habits in, in, throughout your daily life, how much does that come from, you know, how much does that come from being a Green Beret, taking that part of your life in service of your country, and now, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. And, and doing the little things and treating those as victories? Because a lot of people don't treat those as victories, like you said, right? You're, you're like, ah, it's just washing the dishes. But that's when you don't wash the dishes, mm-hmm. right? Because you're just like drudgery, right? It's mm-hmm. drudgery to you. Instead, those are victories to mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Wh- where, does, where does that come from? Discipline. Discipline, yeah. See, because if you don't, if you don't have discipline, man, you'll never make it in life. Mm. I don't care how talented you are. See, if you don't have the discipline to get up, if you don't have the discipline to take a shower and get dressed and you don't have the discipline to be kind and show compassion, whatever it is, right? Life is made of a discipline, mm-hmm. right? It's true. It's I, so true. I've gotten that to, even through the project. I get messages sometimes from guys, you know, photo- photographers. You get to photograph the coolest guys. You get to do, like, oh, man, that's awesome. I want to do that. So, like, can you introduce me to so-and-so? Like, starts at a base level, dude. I didn't start off, you know, I, I started off photographing people and growing my art into something to where I could sit down with people like you 
but it didn't start off day one, two lamb, you know, coming, <laughs> into, coming into the hey. dojo. And, <laughs> hey, dude, you want to be part of this project? He's like, what project? I don't even know what you do. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a development of the art. And I learned as I grew and, and learning as I grew, it was developing those disciplines, right? Each day. And, and you've, you're becoming a master of that, but it's, it's, it's knowing also that you can't completely master that, right? Like everything's probably a process for you, correct? So this is the way I, I look at it, man. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, when I meditate, right? So it's like, think about the form of meditation, right? Mm-hmm. What, what is the purpose of meditation? Is to be in the present moment, to be completely engaged and be focused on to whatever you're doing in the present moment, right? And this draws from the teachings of the martial arts, and this comes from the teachings of samurai. So when I make my bed, I, I'm totally engaged, man. I, I, I'm totally focused on that that procedure, right? You I mean, would, you're not worried about Instagram when you're making oh, your bed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, uh, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if, if I should <laughs> take this picture. No. So the thing is, I'm totally engaged in that. Yeah. So what I'm saying to you is, if I was to teach you to be totally engaged in, I don't know, business, yeah. right? Well, how does that start? To be totally engaged in making your bed, to be totally engaged in the present moment, to be totally engaged with injecting positively, to connecting with God, whatever it is, to be totally engaged with keeping on your personal schedule. Mm. Right? So my personal schedule is 5 o'clock in the morning, meditation, physical training, cardiovascular training and then into my work day yeah right so i have to keep a schedule it's it's no different yeah right you just got to keep a schedule so that's the first thing and you can't do that unless you have what dedication dedication yeah can't do it how have you found that dedication in your life now you know man my first year out of army was really hard and when I say that is, you know, physical fitness has always been a passion, right? A lifestyle. You know, when I got out, I was hit uh, with depression, you know? And it, the hardest thing for me to do was, gosh, just even go to the gym. Like something so basic that I, that I found pleasure in. Mm. I was in a dark place, right? Yeah. And I'll tell you the story, man. It takes, you know, 15 minutes, you know, for me to get in my car and drive to the gym that I had a membership in, 15 minutes. And I knew that. Yeah. So regardless of how I felt that day, regardless if I wanted to quit on life, regardless if I was in a dark place, I was going to get in my car and I was going to drive 15 minutes to that gym. Yeah. And I was going to get out of the car and I was going to sit in there. Now it was up to me if I want to work out or not, but that was the 15 minutes. Mm. I did that for a year. A year. Yeah. Two, it became a habit. Yeah. <laughs> Two, it became a habit, and I yeah. actually looked forward to it. And then I found my pace again. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. So dedication, doing the same stuff over and over, even if you don't like it, that's dedication. Yeah. You know it's good for you. You know that if you eat this meal, is going to be healthy for you in the long run. Mm-hmm. But yet we choose the easy answer. Yeah. We oh, choose yeah. the yeah. quick answer, right? Right. But man, if I tell you, hey, if you have dedication, it will reflect throughout your whole life. Yeah. Right? So the small battles, the washing the dishes, the making the bed, all those are little battles that adds up to the overall win in life. Yeah. 
the answer often comes through that adversity and through that dedication. You know, you didn't start out by saying, I'm going to do this for a year and then I'll be ready. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you said if you got ahead of yourself during your training, you know, through the going through the Q course, you would have never made it right. Like you gotten ahead of yourself, like you know, with that the whiteboard, you know, just every going every day and wondering what's next, what's next, what next. That destroys a lot of guys, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it's a it's truly in special forces training. It's all psychological. Mm. It's always a mind game. Yeah, and 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 enduring physical pain. Yeah, on top of that, but it's mostly mind. What do you think guys have trouble translating that into their modern lives when you go from such a difficult lifestyle? You know, there are those Green Berets, Navy SEALs, recon guys that suffer when they get out what do you think it is that that causes i know everybody is different but what do you think a big overall cause of that is and struggling is it living in the past well, you know i tell you i i do go out to these veterans uh groups i go to uh warrior to warrior and i speak to veterans they have a hard time and majority of the the veterans i speak to are special operations guys mm -hmm. so i do have a snapshot on on the issues yeah you know. first they can't let go they're always chasing that adrenaline, that high. There is a high, you know. Oh, that's, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, there's a high. There's adrenaline. Yes. You know, that's what we live for. That's why we free fall and do what we do because, I mean, we live. There's a certain breed of men that, that like that lifestyle, <laughs> right? So let's just say, so you're, you're going that lifestyle for so long. Well, Tim, that's your normal. Mm. Right? Yeah. So that's your normal now. Mm -hmm. like life is boring if it's like an average like if it's an exciting life for a normal civilian that's a boring life for ex-commando yeah right that's the way we want our commandos <laughs> right yeah we yes. want that to be boring to them yeah yeah but but this is the thing is if you're trying to find your peace man it kind of contradicts everything so that's why you have to change first your views Right, you're not a commando anymore, unless hey, unless you you know you're you're doing that on a contract or you're doing that with the agency. Right. Hey, totally get it. But the thing is, it's going to come to an end. Either now or later, it's going to come to an end. So everything you're does. going to meet that you're going to meet that resistance. Either now or you're going to meet it later. So how can you pass that resistance? Mm. You can only pass the resistance going back to Masashi Miyamoto's teachings. Everything comes from within. Yeah. So you have to change the way you view the world. And then you have to kind of find beauty in the world again and not just through adrenaline. Right. Right. And I find beauty through yeah, connecting with God mm -hmm. in the morning. Uh, I find beauty in meditating in my Zen garden. Yeah. Right. Take me out there. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So that's so your life is, has to change if that's what you want to find peace. Right. Because if you're running and gunning your whole life yeah you're just full of fire your whole life man you'll never be full mm. and i wasn't full when i got out i had this this strength but i had a lot of weakness because i lost it during the focus on the strength through, through the warriors you know you see that too i mean I've, I've been in groups you know with guys who just gotten out you know and they served 20 years and uh, i got a good friend of mine who was a command sergeant major in the 82nd airborne he did 24 years and, you know multiple combat tours you know to the argon and some pretty rough places and you know and and he and he would be fine with me saying this is like now that he's been those 24 years you know he's very much on the search of self 
and he's you know and he's living it and he has found a lot of peace and healing through the nonprofits that he's working with but he also found out that w- as he connected with that nonprofit world he hadn't been focused on himself enough and so he was working but still suffering because he had not returned to self and and found those inner disciplines yet you know that he needed outside of the military i i talked about like you could be a man of wealth but you can be spiritually bankrupt. Oh, yeah. Right? So, you know, man, the war takes a lot out of you, man. You know, and um, you're going to be, you're going to face things that a human being has to make a decision. And um, it's hard decisions, you know, in war. And some of us carry that weight. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't have to carry that weight. You should be able to have the ability through the teachings of a Ronin or whatever right, whatever your your path for healing is, um, have the, the, the ability to have a practice, mm-hmm. the ability to have a course of action or how you're going to eliminate, you know, that thing holding you back, yeah. right? And, you know, me being a Green Beret, I was able to take the, uh, the mission planning process, right, and how I uh, found my enemies and, and, and execute my missions, and I was able to apply it to life. Yeah. Right. Wow. You know, I, I've been wa- I've been watching this uh I just finished watching this documentary on Michael Jordan. Yes. Like, you know, yeah. Love it. <laughs> so good. You yes. know. Just a, a guy at the top of his game yes. who experienced every day as a competition, you know, yes. just very powerfully done and shows his life, you know, very very just so impactfully, mm-hmm. right? How, you know, and I'm getting to a point here. Jordan would probably make a terrible coach. <laughs> How do you, as a trainer, you know, instructor, you're known for being an incredible instructor. Ronin Tactics, I have buddies who are like, hey, man, when you could talk to two, like, tell them to let me into one of his classes. <laughs> They're impossible to get into, yeah. you know. you got such a waiting list. You've got what they sell in hours, yeah, you know, th- hours. That's awesome. I mean, that's a wonderful, blessed yes, place to be, right? Very blessed. How did you take being at the top of your game doing this, and how do you translate that to teaching? Because it's hard sometimes, right? When a guy won't get it, you know, like you know, I think that's something Jordan would suffer. And is like, I don't know, just shoot it, like you know, like this is how I make my shot. And then as he's translating it into coaching someone, it's tough, right? Because you did it at such a high level. How do you take that high level and then break it down into maybe baby food for somebody who's just learning, you know, just starting out? Well, you know, in the Special Forces, we have to run our missions with force multiply. You know, we have to go into conflict areas. We have to train rebels, militia groups, right? We have to train people with third grade educations. Wow. I have to train people that don't even speak my language. And when I say train them, we have to train them to overthrow either existing government or we have to train them to suppress a rebel force that's, you know, maybe taking over that government. Yeah. Uh, whatever the interests of the United States are at that time, you know. So, you know, I had 23 years roughly of, of that, training rebels in third world countries. And, you know, when, when I say the, the level of training that the Green Berets go under, it's not just combat. You know, we train cultural awareness. We train... Uh, the, the infrastructure, the demographics, we, we understand the people, the religion, you know, so when we go into a country, I understand you, I understand that you're a rebel that been fighting for your country, right, and you just, you just finished a civil war, so where's your family, and so what I'm saying to you is, 
when I train people, I understand the depth of my training because they're not protecting only them. They're fighting for their, their family. They're fighting for whatever tribe. They're fighting for whatever country, whatever existence. See? Yeah. So the only way to do that is you got to put yourself in the people. Yeah. So when I became Ronin, I started hearing the people, man. You know, I, I, I met a lady. And um, there was a guy who broke into her house and, and really assaulted her. Mm. Extremely. Almost left her there to die. Wow. You know, beat her to, to the point where she almost died. And, you know, she slept in the closet for eight years. Wow. Eight years. Eight years. Jeez. You know, and I met her. I met her, and uh, she just came out, literally, and she was trying to learn uh, Coral McGraw, you mm-hmm. know, the way of defending herself. And she, I, I had a chance to sit down and talk to her. But, you know, to hear her pain, right, to hear that. Yeah. And, you know, I heard it, you know, through my whole life, you know, when, when I, you know, when I say that is, gosh, man, we, we had to free slaves, you know, uh, in Africa, we had to fight against genocide, yeah. you know, uh, in some of the locations I was in. So I know like the struggles, but to hear it from our own Americans, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. and then to see the, the law enforcement, well, it, it goes back to purpose again. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. This all with all these talks and discussions that are going on in such a you know tumultuous time nowadays. You know, you got people clamoring for defund the police and all those kinds of things. How much does you know? We've heard this subject often brought up, and you know, I have my own beliefs and viewpoints of this. What do you think of these discussions that are going on? You know, defunding the police, taking more money away from training. And bringing them into other areas, what is that? What what is that? Where does that put you mindset wise? Well, I mean, I I think that that let's just take a snapshot of you know recent events, mm-hmm. right? With the uh, the the looting, the rioting, the protesting that got out of hand, right? Right. So think about like with these rioting's that are happening in these cities. Mm-hmm. Well, some cities are okay with just letting it happen. Right. I mean, we see it, right? We okay. So this is, this is being played out, and this is multiple cities across America. All right, so then now we want to disarm our law enforcement, like literally take away their, uh, their rifles, yeah. right? And then uh, we don't want them to have uh, expert tra- extra training, and then you want to handicap them. Well, what do you think that's going to do? Yeah. Right? So when you basically say, hey, total anarchy in our, con- or in our city, Okay, just do what you need to do. Burn it down. Well, we have law-abiding citizens that have businesses in these locations. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they have a right to defend themselves. Right? So when you disarm our law enforcement who cannot even react to that situation, who's going to defend the small businesses? Who's going to defend the families? Mm -hmm. Comes down to those individuals. Comes down to individuals, right? So... It's more important now than ever. Yeah. Right? It's more important now than ever. Yeah. So I've been in countries where there are lawless lands. Right? And I could tell you what happens. Yeah. You know, it's it's um it's barbaric. Wow. Yeah. W- what about you know, what about 
being in those places has increased your respect for what we have here. You know, because you did it for 23 years. You've been in some places where the only law was there is no law, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and and people suffer. You know, people are walking miles and miles just to get their water. Yeah, you know, yeah. S- sleeping under the stars every night with threat coming from animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From I mean, yeah. things that we don't think about yeah. even in America. Yeah. I mean, just just like, you know, I don't know, coming back home from Iraq, just sleeping in in your house and not being mortared, you know, or or, or getting shot at just driving down the street, you know. Uh, and the special forces, you know, working in some of the, the countries, you know, you're going to some of these checkpoints. You don't know if they're terrorist checkpoints or you don't know if they're uh, the government checkpoints. You right. don't know if it's their intelligence network that's going to kidnap. You don't know. Yeah. And we didn't have the numbers to, I mean, it's not a war zone, but <laughs> I, I would say Libya is uh, yeah. <laughs> is a war zone, right? Yeah, right? it's officially not a war zone, but <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so in these lawless lands, it's barbaric. Mm-hmm. And if we continue to do this to our law enforcement, then it's going to be barbaric. It, it is right. absolutely, and it's 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 going to be you know people trying to defend themselves, and then people are not trained. Yeah. Some people are not trained to defend themselves. What has it been like for you as the years have gone by? You've seen less and less training or what do you, I mean, you know, in this breakdown of training and tactics, what do you see as a trainer on the ground, you know, with these classes coming in? You know, I'm sure you you see some very well-trained people, but you also see a lot of people who just don't even have a a base knowledge of it. Yeah, you know, and that's why they're coming to me. And that's the approach I take, you know. Which means everything, right? Just to even know that you need it, right? That's very self-aware. Yeah, you know, okay, so a journey of a thousand miles. Uh, I began with a single step. Lao Tzu, Confucius philosophy, uh, dating back to 600 BC. But that that first step Mm -hmm. is so critical. Because in life, a lot of people don't take that first step. Yeah. They don't take the first step because I'm telling you, man, if you take that first step, well, you're going to have to take a second or third. Mm-hmm. Right. And before you know it, it becomes a rhythm, positive momentum. Right. Yeah. It becomes a rhythm of life. So when people come to me. Yeah, some are untrained. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the law enforcement are better trained. It depends on the um, the student. It depends on the class I'm training on, you know, more to advanced classes. I, I, I have requirements. Yeah. Right. Like the vehicle tactics where they're shooting inside vehicles, uh, close quarters combat. You're shooting one meter off each other's barrels, you know. So it gets really close quarters and their weapons manipulation. So you have your different type of people. I mean, people are diehard. Mm -hmm. Right. You have your military people and you have your military wannabe people. Right. right? And you have your uh, law by citizens just want to learn, you know. So with my curriculums, I break it down. Right. When I say I break it down is, you know, I when I trained, let's say I go to combat. Well, first is country X. And then I, I pull country X and I look at the intelligence and everything. Right. I look at the uh, I don't know, the width of the streets. I look at the vehicles. I look at the measurement of the people. I look at the window. I, I study all this. Yeah. Before I even get in country, you know. So that's what I tell people is like, OK, so if you're trying to defend your home, then go into your hallway and take a measurement of that hall. Mm. Go into your room and take a measurement of that room. Then you go out to a flat range and you're, you're simulating those measurements, right? Right. On the flat range. Yeah. Right. And then uh, I put cones out and I'm simulating their world in gunfighting. 
Mm. So I really tailor towards what they're going to use it for. A lot of instructors don't do that. Yeah. Where they, you know, maybe the class is just weapon safety right. or uh, basic weapons, uh, firearms or whatever. I go more into the environment. I go more into the tactics and the strategy uh, side of it than just weapons manipulations. How much, how important is it to develop that instinctual model where guys, you know, because I remember with my guys on my team, you know, when we were going over to Iraq, it's like, oh, Kolzak's going to ask us to do magazine drills again, you know, and we're just, you know, slap and repeat, slap and repeat, pulling mags, pulling mags, getting used to that feeling, right? It's the same thing in the house, right? You got to get used to it. Your, your greatest advantage is you know your home. Right, mm-hmm. I, I bet if someone comes into two lamps home, please don't do that. That would be a mistake. You're gonna die in a terrible way. <laughs> but if someone comes into your home, you know every corner, don't you? I do. You and know I, every. Layout. And I know where the natural lightings go through the windows. Mm. I know where the artificial lightings in. I know what the uh, reflections are into the next rooms. I know the dead spaces. I know the dark areas. I know the dominations points in a room. So I already figure all this out, but. I've been doing it for so long. So literally, I could walk through a house and go, oh, point of dominance. All right, if I stand here, or roughly about 15 yards on this hallway. See, I already know all that. But Most people don't think that when they're coming. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my greatest point of dominance? <laughs> my friends think I'm weird. Yeah. Why are you going over there? Oh, I'm trying to control the room. <laughs> exactly. No, but, you know, that's a survival mindset. Yeah. Right? That's a survival mindset. Yeah. And it's not being paranoid. It's not being Tell people that. That's important for people to hear from you because I tell my friends that all the time. And I have friends, we go to a restaurant and they don't sit, they they let me sit with my face towards the exit. You know, they know that I don't want to sit, you know, on the other side of the booth. So they know and they're used to me. But, you know, my point has been is like, I'm not paranoid. It's just no had the knowledge in this world that we live in. Anything can turn into a frenetic, you know, into a combat zone, Mm -hmm. you know. So how how do you explain that as not being paranoid? Uh, You know, I I always give this story that kind of breaks the tone of things. You Mm -hmm. know, I said, so let me tell you about how I went to a grocery store in Yemen, in the city of Sanaa, right? (laughs) Going to a grocery store, something easy. So first I had to, through time, distance, to change the direction. I had to pull out the surveillances behind me, whoever's behind me, right. if there is anybody behind me. So I had to go through that corridor, right? And then I have to move to certain uh, conflict areas. So when we say conflict areas, there's militia-ran territory. So you might have to transit through heavily armed militia group to go into a supermarket area where you park your car, where a majority of the people have never seen an Asian guy. Yeah. Right? A 210-pound Asian guy tattooed out walking into a grocery store in Yemen where they don't like you uh, because you're a Westerner. Right. So your, your survival skills have to be on point. Mm-hmm. Your situational awareness cannot, cannot fail, right, because your life depends on it. So. It's not being paranoid. It's just some of these skills that I have developed throughout my years, yeah. right? I can walk through a room and call points in the room. I can call, you know, what the book looks like just by one quick walk through the room without even looking at it. And there's no feeling of anxiety attached to that? No, because at this point in my life, it's about me giving my knowledge and what kept me alive, mm. right? So when I walk through a house and I say, okay, that hallway was roughly about five meters in width, it was 15 
uh, yards in uh, length, right? Well, that's my fighting ground. I could possibly fight on that. So I better know what those dimensions are roughly, yeah. right? Yeah. But those are skills I developed because that was my environment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right? For 23 years. Right? Yeah. That was my environment. But hey, man, what if I say, hey, that wasn't my environment, but how can you take that teaching and put it in your world? Right. Right. So that's what I mean. It's like, yeah, I could teach you kind of like the extreme situation. Like, I don't know, being in a country hunting bad guys, right. In a foreign country. Yeah. Right. With a bunch of other bad guys trying to kill you. But the thing is, you don't need to learn all that. I can give you that story and you can extract. Yeah. What is useful. The teachings of Bruce Lee. Mm. What do you, what do you think is one of the most impactful parts of teaching mentality you know and and teaching capability within mentality to some of these classes you know you have to come in with a humble mindset to your class right like humility is everything in a lot of ways and not thinking you know it all because you're going to break down a lot of those you know probably bad habits that guys have or they think they might know it all how how important is is it to have a strong mentality coming into into the class and how do you teach that you know as a ronin you have to deliver an energy Mm. right away within the first 30 seconds i've seen that energy yeah. <laughs> you know i mean it's uh i'm like let me stay out of the way <laughs> you know what's so funny is you know i'm i'm a really nice guy right yes very okay yeah. and i'm very uh polite yes. you know and i i, but I during really the class i wouldn't get <laughs> but you know what's so funny is when i teach right and before the class i i introduce myself to all the students you know i say thank you for coming out a lot of people drive in for all the different states, had people fly in from other countries wow. before. So I introduced myself, you know, and I'm like, oh, thank you, you know, for coming out. And then when they bow in, it's Ronan. <laughs> it's, it's, um, you're going to get a different demeanor. I've seen know? it happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah. So when I say that the first 30 seconds, they're going to feel my energy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not yelling. I'm not screaming. I'm very um, uh, soft tone. Yeah. In the way I, I teach and talk, but but there's a presence about you. They're gonna feel the energy. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And even in, in a close quarters combat, mm. I could teach you all day, but you're gonna feel that speed. You're gonna feel that that power. Yeah. You know. So, and I I feel that that's that's a unique thing for me and how I teach is I br- really bring in the martial arts side to even gunfighting, even my movement, how I throw punches, how I how I drive a gun, yeah. you know, and I, I, I truly teach that in my classes, and, you know, it's been really uh, popular. Yeah. You, know, for y- us. you probably had some very impactful moments. Can you talk about, was there any, are there any ones that you remember where you're like, wow, that was incredible, where you, maybe where you took somebody from a base level to, you know, a higher level, and you see them there and their confidence develop? But just, you know, any any type of scenarios you can think of where it was really impactful in your life and for you? You know, one thing that kind of stood out when you were asking me, we were asked to go to the Navajo Nation Reservation. Oh, wow. Yeah. The Navajo Nation PD asked us to come in. They're SWAT guys and plus they're, uh, they're PD. Now, I, I want to put you in this train, right? So think about that. You're in a reservation, mm. a lot of high crime there. In fact, they, they practice a lot of witchcraft, believe it or not. Wow. In, in uh, the reservation, the skinwalkers kind of did, and it ties back into their heritage. But why I went in here was uh, because we, we get asked to go a lot of places. I'm at the point in my 
in my business where I can pick and choose wherever I feel is important. And Wonderful then, place to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Navajo Nation, first is rooted in history. The Navajo Nation PD, I started doing my research. Man, they only had 16 officers. Wow. 16. This terrain that they had to protect, it was huge. They were armed with Glocks, hmm. a couple of rifles. When I flew in, uh, there was a few Walmarts and stuff like that. And at that time, Walmart was still selling their hunting rifles. And as I was teaching all these uh, officers, I, would, I asked them, I said, so what's to stop me from getting on a ridge line up in these mountains just picking you guys off because you only have Glocks? Uh-oh. What came out of it was they were awakened. Yeah. Nobody ever told them this. Right. Obviously, it's common sense, right? But man, you know, sometimes if, unless you've kind of been through it, you don't think like that. Yeah. And then I talk about the terrain. A few days out on the range, we were teaching them, and then we went into the school. I was, I was fighting it back against school shootings. Mm. So we went in to teach their uh, specialty teams on how to react, contain, isolate, and act the shooter in a school scenario. But what I found on this trip, man, it was uh, first history. Yeah. Did you see it? Like, this is where the settlers went. You yeah. Know, when we pushed out west, and the natives, and, and that history. And I, I just felt connected there. Yeah. It was really cool. That's was, awesome. I mean, but there's so many. <laughs> there's so many of these stories. You yeah. Know, with, with connecting with people. Is there any one aspect that you enjoy of this, you know, and what you do more than the other? You know, do you enjoy teaching law enforcement most or civilian, or they're just different? Um, you know, what do you enjoy the most within this world? I enjoy both, man. I yeah. enjoy teaching the civilians. I enjoy teaching the law enforcement. I enjoy teaching the military. The thing about the law enforcement and military, they have more of a specialized requirement. Mm. They have more of how did you do this? Whereas for civilians, is like, just show me weapons, safety. Show me marksmanship training, whatever. And obviously, I have civilians that are pretty badass civilians, you know, that dedicate a lot of time to that art. You know, I teach blade tactics. I teach empty hand-to-hand combat. I teach uh, combat pistol, combat rifle. I teach, I mean, vehicle tactics, CQB. I teach a lot. What I find is that when it comes to the hand-to-hand, that's a unique crowd. They're looking for a unique skill. And then the people are able to go into the pistol. They're looking for, I'm talking about civilians, they're looking more at home defense stuff. But what I opened their eyes to is this, the gun classes and the knife classes. You and I are sitting roughly about three yards from each other. Yeah. So if you have a gun on your hip line, you think you can stop me from from getting to you? I don't think I could stop you, period. But <laughs> <laughs> but but just human to human? No, probably not. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that yeah. you have to have time to employ that. Right. One, right? You have to have space. And if I take your space, I take your time. So I teach them how to create time yeah. through hand-to-hand combat. I teach them how to create space to employ weapons. I teach range and tactics. So everything stems off the empty hands because that's what you got. Yeah. Right before the weapon. And then everything extends from the empty hands. Sticks, mm. knives, rocks, guns, blades, swords, whatever. So those are basically an extension of you as a weapon. How I throw a punch is exactly how I spin a present my weapon. Yeah. Same motion. My footworks are the same in, in close quarters. But not a lot of people are trained in the martial arts. Right. So their body doesn't move like that, right? So I teach it. I break it down. 
and two, you are the weapon and you're an extension of your body. What do you think are the greatest dangers facing our society nowadays and kind of what have you had to employ? Did these class have your classes changed over the last couple of years, you know, from what I've seen in, you know, three, four years ago? I don't know, time goes so fast, I can't even yeah. keep monitor it. But have you had to change kind of the direction or any of the things within your classes to fit what's going on in society now? Yeah, I like the uh, active shooter scenarios. Right, yeah. The tactics has to change because some of these active shooters are, are employing uh, basic, basic military tactics Yeah. on uh, law enforcement. And, and some of these, man, some of these law enforcement guys, they're not military. They never see the play. So you never know to play the tactic, then you're not going to win. That's what we're facing these days is combating against active shooters with tactics. Yeah. So how do you do that with a crowd? We do a lot of that. We do a lot of, for sedans, we do a lot of, if somebody breaks into your home, we put them in a simulated house, turn off all the lights, their guns in a different room. How are you going to get to them? Some of the drills that we did was we, uh, we had a simulated, it's a house, it's actually, but with a catwalk, like a shoot house. And it was inside a hangar. We cut off all the lights. And I had three combatants in that house. Mm. There was a lady that was in her bedroom. So when the moment she heard something, I kicked the wall. The moment she heard it, she had to get up and she had to move with three combatants in the house. Wow. And they don't know where she's at. She don't know where they're at. Oh, wow. So it adds a little bit of realism to it. Yeah, a little adrenaline. (laughs) Right? Because stealth has a lot to do with it. People don't think about that. Speed has a lot to do with it. Understanding terrain has a lot to do with it. Knowing dead spaces, natural lighting, all of that. People don't think about that. They think, oh, I need to get to my gun. and do this. Well, there's a lot of other circumstances. If we thought like that in the military, we would have lost every battle, right? Yeah. Because we're totally. not maximizing terrain. We're not maximizing angles. We're not maximizing distance. Yeah. So that's what I bring into it. You see that even with the tactics of going country to country, you know, from Afghanistan to Iraq. I yeah. remember guys are having to, you know, you know, I remember I had buddies who deployed to Iraq and then they said, you know, they came back from Afghanistan after. I said, man, it's a whole different animal out yeah. there. Yeah. You're learning. And, and a lot of the tactics the military are teaching were not even effective yeah. for these main grunt units. You know, yeah. they're going from Iraq, getting very little time back home and then going to Afghanistan where, you know, the range is so different and you're facing an enemy you can't see very often. Yeah. And the, the, it's extremely challenging. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even to terrain, like, you know, the walls in Iraq are different from the mud hut walls in mm. Afghanistan, right? Yeah. It's been aged for thousands of years. The, the fighting's different because the weapons are different. We had a lot of Soviet weapons in Afghanistan. Absolutely. Terrain, the enemy, all that, yeah. all, all that, yeah. all that changes. You know, I usually ask people, well, I'll ask you this. So you have a concealed permit. So think about your daily life. What is the most vulnerable time in your daily life? Probably when I'm out and about. Okay. Yeah. So walk into your car or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or walk into the store. Right. So that's your environment. Yeah. So when I, when I talk about that to people, I'm like, okay, so if you're here for a, a pistol defense course, what's your most dangerous time in your day? When are you going to be carrying that pistol? I have to go to my car because I have to close down the store at midnight to go to the, the car to drive home, right? But that's the most dangerous time. Mm-hmm. So what's the distance? Mm. What's the terrain like? Is the door swing open or closed? Is it glass doors? Does it have screening in the front of the... So that's your environment now. So you study that environment and you simulate that most dangerous course of action. Mm. Wow. A lot of people don't think about that. That's my approach to training. That's how I took the special forces side of it and put it into a teachings of a Ronin 
what is your peace nowadays? Where do you find that peace nowadays in your in your daily life? Is it that same thing, that structure, you know, waking up every morning at five and getting after it? Where do you find your peace most nowadays? Because you we talked about how important the present is and we are in the present. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so what is your most you know, what brings you peace? Oh gosh! Well, you, you, I walked you around my Zen garden. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that made me feel peaceful. <laughs> yeah. So first, I walk, I work on my Japanese Zen garden, right? That brings me peace, total focus, and dedication to that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine the other day, and he said, I, "Too, I find peace." He was an older, he's an older gentleman. He goes, "I find peace being in the river, fly fishing." Mm. I said, "Talk about it, man." Yeah. He goes, "Man, the smell." In the morning of nature, it's kind of cold in the water. You can hear the birds, uh, the insects. I mean, he really broke it down. I said, what was so peaceful about it? He goes, man, it's so beautiful out there, too. See, because if I surround myself in beauty, in my garden, well, I'm, I'm totally surrounded in, in that. Uh-huh. Because when I wake up, I can't wait to go look at it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful environment. It is. Truly, it is. Yeah, very. That, to surround yourself in beauty. Second is... My priorities kind of change in life. Yeah. Right? I'm no longer this commando hunting down bad guys around the world. Yeah. But I don't I don't want that, man. Mm-hmm. I really don't want that anymore for me. There's younger commandos out there that's better than me that can do it in this era. You know what I find is that I look at life different. So what brings me pleasure is the smile on my wife's face. <laughs> right? Because I realize that for... She's going to love that answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> We just won points. Yeah. <laughs> For the 19 years, yeah, she sacrificed. That's amazing. And I, I tell you, man, it's it's rewarding to be around family, mm. right? And connecting in that again. You know, when I, when I say reconnecting is, man, when we're gone, man, we were deployed a lot. Yeah. Was it hard to reconnect when you came back from those deployments? You know, you things have changed for you, right? You know, you've been in different places. You've gone to, you know, you've gone through different scenarios. Your your mind is changing. You know, the shape of things are changing. It, was it hard to reconnect with her when you would come back into that space? Yeah, you know, during uh, the war years, absolutely. You know, and you, you get locked on to certain things like, you know, driving offensively. <laughs> you don't need to. Um, you never did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It's just, yeah, life is different. Yeah. Life is different. And uh, I, I could tell you, like, driving down the street, one of the things is seeing the American flag. You know, just just at places like a uh, gas station, it uh, it chokes you up, mm. right? It's just different. It's different. I can't explain it. But, yeah, obviously, right? Because you're going from one dynamic to the next. Yeah, you have to expect there's going to be changes. Yeah. Right? I was never the really paranoid type that gets up and runs to the window with my rifle. Uh, I, I do have friends. Yeah. I face those struggles. Yeah. Each of us have our own man struggles. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, you know, as far as those things that you experience overseas? I, I've had, you know, buddies tell me, like, you know, everybody that faces trauma is going to change. You know, it's not it's not a disorder. It's just a life, you know, it's just it happens. Anybody who experiences trauma, you know, whether it's, you know, being assaulted as a youngster, or, you know, going through a mall shooting or thing, you know, you're going through war. You know, those those traumas are going to be unique. What what was did you feel trauma when you got out? Did you feel some of those traumas or did you feel, 
you know, did you feel immediately kind of, I, I know you had those times of depression when you got out, but was that related to the trauma at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the sights and smell of the war is embedded into the brain. It goes into the crevice of your body that you can never get out. Yeah. Certain smells and sights you see. But the thing is, man, it's like you don't have to live in that. Yeah. Yeah. We all face trauma. See, this is why I feel, man, it's through the trauma. It's through the struggles. Either you got it or you don't. And when I say that is, do you let that defeat you or you get back up right. and you move on? Because that's how you know there's a champion in the room. Mm. Because yeah. the champion gets knocked down, he gets back up. Uh, you know, in, in some of that, that people become that trauma. That's yeah. their identity. They yeah. live in that. And I hear it. I hear a lot from veterans where they're like, I've, I've been through this. I lost this. I lost, man, I got it, man. Mm. And I, I, I'm here for you. But the, the, the moment that you say, I lost this, I lost that, I lost this. Yeah, you're living in the past. Yeah. First, you got to, you have to bed it down. You got to put peace to it and just know that um, some words won't be said. There's some words that I never said to my, my friends that I lost. Yeah. So there's things that will be unsaid, undone. You just got to put peace to it because if you keep on living in that, that's what you're going to be living in. So those anxieties that it's going to become a habit, just like meditation and the positivity <laughs> I object in my mind. If you get up every morning and go, man, I lost this guy. Uh, I wish, I wish I wasn't hurt. I wish I have this. I wish I, w well, then you're just wishing my friend. Yeah. You're not living. Yeah. So let it go, learn and grow from it. And letting go is one of those practical disciplines that you develop daily, right? Forgive yourself yeah. first. Forgive yourself for your mistakes. Extract the lesson learned and apply it to your current moment. Right? And it goes back to mentality, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. developing that mentality. I uh, had a conversation with a nurse one time, right? And she was my friend. Mm -hmm. And I said, what is the biggest regret? You know, you deal with life and death every day. What, what's the biggest regret when their final moments, their final days? Mm -hmm. And she said it, man. She goes, hands down, hands down, not living a life true to yourself. Mm. You know, I really want to absorb this, right? I want you to absorb this. Not living a life true to yourself. How many times have you heard you're not good enough? You don't have what it takes. If you're smarter, you'll choose this. How many times, man? So if you listen to those external voices, you're drifting further away from your truth. Right. So that's why in this stage of my life, it's about, man, I walked away from a lot of voices. Yeah. Right. Some of them were my really close friends. At this stage of my life, I have to hear my voice. What do you see most, you know, going forward in the future? And I know we've talked about staying in the present, but <laughs> I'm sure you think about the future from time to time. Mm -hmm. What do you want to see from, you know, from your life? What do you want people to remember to lamb as and, and how they see your legacy, or does that even matter to you? What do you, what do you want to leave as your imprint on this earth? You know, I really don't think like too much about what am I leaving as a legacy. I'm just doing it. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. I'm just doing it, man. I'm not really thinking about, hey, if I die, what am I leaving? I'm not really thinking that right now. Yeah. I'm thinking, wow, I helped this person. I went to Navajo Nation. I trained. I went to Dallas. I helped out that community. So I'm living in the present. Yeah. And man, if I die tomorrow, I live full. Yeah, that's cool.
That's amazing. With your work balance relationship with your wife and, you know, Ruthie, how do you maintain that? You know, how do you keep that strong? Because a lot of people that work together have a hard time <laughs> in their life. How do you, how do you maintain that work life balance with her? Oh, we've been together long enough where, you know, we respect each other in that level. Um, you know, Ruthie is, is a professional man. You know, she, she has a master's degree in business accounting. Uh, she's a smart person. Yeah. You know, she has helped grow a lot of major corporations. So that's what she brings to Ronan. What I bring to Ronan is the teachings of a Ronan. Yeah. You know, she brings the business, the, uh, when I say the business, she's the one who's coordinating with the law enforcement. Mm -hmm. She's the one who's talking to the military and say, hey, what do you want? And then she's plugging on the schedule. Yeah. So when I see her do that, man, how can you not love that, right? Yeah. So I have a huge respect for, for Ruthie, my wife, and what she does on a daily basis. It brings me joy that I get to work with her every single day. Yeah. Do we have our differences? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, right? Business, uh, relationship. You know, she talks to me freely. <laughs> uh, she puts me in my place sometimes. Yeah. But the thing is this. Man, I respect her. Yeah. And I, I Respect is everything. Yeah, and I want to listen to what she has to say. Yeah. Now, she knows when I'm, I'm passionate about certain things, but that's where that respect comes in. Yeah. That's powerful. That's very important. To, uh, you know, you've seen your company grow and you've gotten to do all the cool things, Fortune Fire and all that, and dealt, you know, dealt with Goldberg and, you know, been in cool environments like that. W what do you think you're most proud of? What do you think, you know, out of all your accomplishments and, and the things that you've done, done in the past, what do you think has been kind of the coolest thing for you? You know, I did a lot of cool stuff, man, like Fortune Fire, Night for Death. Call of Duty, yeah, you know, I did a lot yeah. of cool stuff. What was that experience like? Oh, Call of Duty wow, just if any ward, such a professional company, they discovered us, you know, they they called me up and then they're like, hey, we're interested in your martial arts movements on a video game <laughs> and we want to fly you out. And I was actually training out in San Francisco at the time. I was training close quarters combat. Cool. And uh, they contacted Ruthie and said, hey, we're going to fly you straight from San Francisco to L.A., so literally, I'm toting my guns and everything <laughs> uh, into L.A. And I met, I met a man. I met the team. I met the vice president. I met the uh, creative designer. I met everybody. That's cool. And we just hit off, man. And then uh, they offered me, they offered me to be a character. Yeah. I thought it was really cool that I get to share that with the world. So that was really cool. But if you ask me, what's my biggest accomplishment since I've been out? Man, it's being a Ronin. It's being masterless and doing the things that are important to me. And being successful at what I'm doing, <laughs> yeah. right? So everything that I focus and dedicate my life to, we've been blessed, man. Yeah. And I, I truly owe that to my level of focus and dedication. Yeah. And, you know, Ruthie, my relationship with her. Yeah. I'm very blessed and I'm very uh, grateful that I'm able to accomplish something like that in a pretty short amount of time getting out of the military after 23 years. Yeah. You know, to be able to find your ground, it wasn't right away. People think it was right away, <laughs> but it wasn't yeah. right away. Yeah. It, it was hard work, and it's still hard work. Mm. I still have my bad days, but it's the bad days that I take the deepest notes. Yeah. You know, it's the bad days that I learn a lot more about myself and, and where I, how much further I need to go. Mm. Right. Yeah, what is it about that? You know, you talked about the bad days. What do you think, you know, really is striking our veteran community the most as far as you know we, we obviously have a lot of bad days because the suicide epidemic is such a massive thing but i'd like to get into the 
mental health aspect of you know what we're facing what do you think that is? What do you think guys are struggling so badly when they're getting out? You know, I mean, you had your bad days. You know what that's like. What happens when that carries over and that becomes a bad year or, you know, bad 10 years and then you're stuck in that moment? Mm-hmm. What do you think it is the most in our veteran community that's really, you know, been been tough for them? A lot of the combat veterans are, damn, they're emotionally scarred, man. They've been through it, right? Especially right. in a war, they've been through it. And even if you haven't been through it, you're, you're still tied to that culture yeah yeah right it's hard to let go you know so when you've been through it and you're tied to a certain experience well there's no emotion attached to that experience right Mm -hmm. so if i was to say hey man when i went to the philippines and we had to combat abu sayyaf in this southern region of basilin there's an emotion attached to that experience yeah so if you have a traumatic uh experience in combat then let's just say you replay it every day. Mm. So every day you're thinking about, man, I lost my friend here. Yeah. So every day you're replaying, oh, man, I really miss him. It can come in different tones right. where you say, hey, I miss him today. Oh, man, I lost him. Today's his birthday. Yeah. You're living in the past. Mm. So when you live in the past, what you do is you tie yourself to that emotion and that experience. So now that emotion is a chemical release into your brain. Mm. Subconsciously. Right. So every day you wake up, think it like it or not, for the last year you've been thinking about this loss, right? It became a habit. Yeah. It became a habit. So every morning when you wake up now, you're going to subconsciously think about it. Even if you're not consciously thinking about it, subconsciously those chemicals are getting released. Yeah. Right? Because that's... That's a normal thing that you did every every day for a year. Now it's a habit. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest problem with veterans is that they don't have the ability to train their minds to move past their trauma. Mm-hmm. They don't have that ability. And and the what we are taught in the military is what? Hey man, take this pill. Yeah, yeah. Take this pill, the pain will go away, and it does. Mm-hmm. It goes away. Yeah. I have taken those pills. It goes away. Yeah, but it's it's only a time right. before those pain comes back. So you you're now you're relying on external resources for your internal strength. Mm. Yeah, internal strength only comes from one location. Okay. You, yeah, right. So a lot of veterans rely a lot on uh, external. Chemicals, like, I don't know, whatever they're prescribed, right. know, antidepressants, you name it, right? Uh, a lot of them turn towards drinking. So all these unhealthy Band-Aids, and it, the, the problem will never go away. Now they're forming a dependent on a chemical externally to try to fix something that's really internal. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful, right? So if I, were, if I was to give you the way that I did it through the teachings of a Ronin, Maybe you can extract some of that information on how the brain works and when to meditate or how to do it, you know, on how to move past trauma. Very well put. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, and and you know what that's like. You know what that pain's like. You've lost a close friend in combat. Yeah, buried one of my close friends, and as I was carrying his casket to his final resting place i had americans americans on the fence line waving signs of 
thank God for dead soldiers. Wow. You know, under the mass of, uh, they were an extreme uh, Christian group. Remember that? So they would go to uh, funerals of soldiers and they'll protest by spreading their hate. Mm. So here I am underneath an oak tree watching the casket lower and I can hear the screaming in the background of, no, I want is my friend to rest in peace, man. Yeah. Do you let that trauma, do you let all that bottle up? I did at one time. Yeah. And that's when I faced my dark time. Mm. So you have to let it go. Yeah. And you let it go by for forgiving yourself. Right. And you have to hear the most important person, which is you, <laughs> which is you in, in this world, man, everybody's so opinionated, you know, nobody's Gosh. opinionated. <laughs> oh. Man, if I post like, I don't know, one video of me disarming a knife, yeah. you get like thousands of people with their method on how they would do it. <laughs> you know? And a lot of these people have never had that experience. Right. And, and you know, what's killing me is like you saw a one minute video. You don't even yeah. know what the instructions about. You don't even know the context. Right. You don't even know. Right. So what I'm saying is people are so full of their own opinions these days and they're so easy to they're so eager to express their nonsense to other people mm -hmm. what i learned in life through my racism years mm, yeah right was i can let that energy break me right or i can become stronger from it and you've dealt with that racism oh man i yeah. dealt with it at the yeah. extreme level yeah you know when people tell me oh man my people i get it man yeah i get it hate is hate right yeah but just understand i'm the one who lost my country. Yeah. I'm the one who was on that boat. Coming over from Vietnam as an Asian and then having this people associate that culture with so many negative things. Yeah, yeah. And then you are there, the embodiment of that. Right, and yeah. you know what kills me is, you know, they call you communists and all this. If they only knew, it was the communists that killed my family. Yeah, yeah. They took my freedoms. But that's just hate, right? Mm -hmm. That's an insult. So I can let that hate bottle me up or I can take that energy and make it into something better. I can become stronger than hate. Yeah. And instead of expressing hate to the world, I can go and free those oppressed. Yeah. Right? And you've learned how to forgive that too, yeah. which is even more powerful. Yeah, you have to learn to forgive hate. Yeah. Because they too are hurting. Mm. Right? That's why they're hating on others. Yeah. Because they can't control their hate. So I do forgive you. Yeah. You know? I, I forgive you for living a weak life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The reflection, like you talked about, the reflection on those external things. So they're not, they're not thinking about self. How can you improve yourself when you're so quick to point the finger at everybody else? Mm, yeah. You can exactly. never fix yourself. Yeah. In fact, if you point the finger at everybody else, then that's your first flaw. Yeah. Right? You're judgmental. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I bring up this story from time to time, but it was one of my most powerful moments within the project was really starting it and learning photography as an art form. Uh, we talk about art so often around you, and that's why I love sitting down and having these conversations because everything is an art. You're martial art, right? Um, and for me, that's photography and it's storytelling. So, uh, you know, I remember being going through a very painful moment in my life, you know, six years ago, seven years ago. And as I was in it, the only thing that offered me any real peace, you know, number one, my relationship with God is very important, but number two is picking up that camera and getting outside in the night of uh, Dallas and learning night photography, because guess what? Photography as an art form is Absolutely. you have to reflect upon the things that are outside, right? You have to look at those things and focus on, not on, you have to focus on others. You have to focus on helping the situation. And that's where you get that art from. 
you're gathering through the lens yes. this information, this data, and you're capturing something yes. beautiful. Instead of focusing on the negatives, you're focusing on the positives. Yes. And that is such a powerful process, helping others. That's what you're doing through Ronin Tactics. You're helping others. And that's brought you a real sense of peace, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. I want to share you with uh, photography because I, too, am a, a student. Of yeah. Maybe because I'm Asian. <laughs> but no. Asian I, people don't take photographs. No, no. But I love. That's a stereotype. <laughs> I've seen it a lot. <laughs> so when I was first introduced to photography, I was going through special forces training, uh, intelligence, operations and intelligence, O&I course. Mm. So uh, one of the pass or fail was photography work, where back then it was film. Wow. Right? Which is a whole different art. Right, form. right. Yeah. yeah. But I, I love that art form. So film photography with film speed, and then you have to change the aperture and the shutter speed setting because everything was shot on manual. Okay. Everything is studied on manual. And then we have to develop uh, the, the, the film underneath a Gore-Tex jacket in the field. Oh, my gosh. Uh, in the middle of the not night. Not a nice dark room. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. Not a nice dark room. Yeah. So then we, um, we started learning digital photography when that era came in. So I started learning photography, mm -hmm. right? When, when I talk about that, it's mean I had to be able to go in country, capture the intelligence mm -hmm. through a camera, and pass that intelligence back, right, to the ground force commander. Well, there was a certain portion that I fell in love with photography so much that there's a lot. I was up in the rooftop of Baghdad, Iraq, <laughs> and uh, I was taking a picture of this target that we we're going to hit the next night. I was a part of a recce team that was forward deployed. Okay. I spent, I spent a good, I would say two minutes composing that shot. Wow, yeah. The sun would look good right here. <laughs> and uh, it was so funny that when you say it's an art form, I kind of lost myself even in an operational environment, that art form, because yeah. it is a beautiful art. I'm a big fan of art, man. As, as you can see sitting in this room, I'm a Definitely, big, yeah. big fan of art. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like that's a uh, expression of the inner person. Yeah. Well, you're such a big fan of the present moment that that's photography is that. Mm -hmm. It's a reflection of the present moment. Mm -hmm. You're able to freeze that. That value is such a beautiful, tangible thing you can take with you through the rest of your life. You yes. know, yes. it's powerful. Well, I mean, I really appreciate you uh, sharing too, uh, sharing your life with us. And most of all, the talk about reintegration, that, that's very powerful. And I think that's important for guys to hear the mental health aspect and how you go about your day because everybody just feels like you have it figured out. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, like, so two's got to figure it out. <laughs> so far from the truth. Yeah. It takes work. It, it takes, takes work. work. Yeah. Every, and it takes dedication. But I, I tell you, man, I, I want to thank you for, for everything you do, man, like seriously, for the Veterans Project, mm -hmm. you know, I read your, your articles on how you capture, man, some of these veterans that, that you're interviewing, we're never going to get their story unless you came out there. Yeah. Thanks. You know, they're in their final days, you mm -hmm. know, months, whatever. Yeah. And uh, for you to capture that and to share that, hopefully my words today help other veterans that are struggling to find their place or any person with trauma in their past, right? Yeah. Because you could take that practice man if you apply it to your life you're going to win yeah and if you win today if you win today man, you're going to win your life right? yeah absolutely i don't want to add anything to that because that was good <laughs> i'm not going to make my profound statement because compared to that profound statement it's not very great <laughs> to lamb the master of those profound statements thank you man uh we appreciate you coming on and uh, it was an honor 
Arigato Kusainis. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank you. Well, for those of you out there who are listening, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We're sure you will. Uh, Two's fan base is very rabid, so <laughs> we're sure they'll enjoy it. And uh, for those of you who are listening, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And most of all, don't forget, our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, our legacies are the mission.